CBD FX's CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBD FX uses only organically grown hemp and all natural ingredients. CBD FX's best selling line of CBD products features wellness boosting CBD and legal Delta 9 THC gummies, oil tinctures, capsules, pens, and other products. Visit CBDFX.com today and use code Genius to get 25% off site wide plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase. The code is GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners, only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is Michael Geithner. He's a PhD student, a researcher in chemical engineering at Pennsylvania State University. And we're going to talk about taking the salt out of water, water desalination. So thanks for coming, Mike. Thank you for having me. If you would tell me a bit about your background, why you chose to do a PhD in water desalination? I started my undergraduate uh, at Penn State, chemical engineering. And in terms of research, really just was interested in, in learning and in getting started on whatever was available. Um, and so I had a professor who had some projects in this area with openings for undergraduates, started working on some projects looking at mainly fouling reduction. So reducing the buildup of colloidal particles, or concentration of salt at the membrane surface, and then even some biofouling work. Oh, so in uh, in reverse osmosis, uh, you said there'd be like fouling at the membrane surface with bacterial films, and and what else would happen to mess it up? So depending on what's in the the source water, you can have colloidal fouling, which is just suspended particles that, as they're removed by the membrane, tend to build up near the surface. You also get, because you're removing salt, what's called concentration polarization where the concentration of salt right at the membrane surface is much higher than, than the feed water because all that rejected salt tends to, to build up in a layer there. And so that affects the membrane performance because when you're looking at osmotic pressure, if you have now higher salt concentration on one side of the membrane, you then have more of a, an energy barrier to overcome to move water through the membrane because your concentration difference across the membrane goes up. Any high electric fields across the membrane? Because you have a lot of ions on one side and less on the other? Not not significantly because all of the ions remain on one side. So you don't have a charge separation, really, at least with, with reverse osmosis. Your charge is still balanced. You just have a concentration gradient between pure water and saline water. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Do they have like a windshield wiper for the... You know, for the membranes, I know in an RO system, the dimensions are so small that it, it would be incredibly difficult. But I know some systems, they'll backwash, I guess, to knock stuff off the membrane. Like, what are the techniques used to clear the membrane once it gets fouled too much? Well, the, the windshield wipers is kind of a good analogy because in actual operation, uh, the membranes are set up 
for tangential flow. So instead of having your membrane and pressurizing your water directly over the membrane, you pressurize water and you run it across the membrane surface. And so that tangential flow along the surface actually disrupts some of that buildup and kind of sweeps away the rejected particles, salts, everything that builds up near the membrane surface. So that is one factor. Uh, you do also have periodic cleaning. So again, depending on what the problem is, you might backwash just to kind of lift things off the surface. You can also change the water chemistry, do pH adjustments if you're having problems with like scaling, like precipitating salts. And then pre-treatment also becomes very critical. So a lot of times the solution is actually how you treat the water in stages leading up to reverse osmosis. Because like with biofouling, not only do you have microbes that, that will attach to the membrane surface, but I, I think you mentioned, right, you get biofilms. So those microbes attach to the surface, they find an environment that they like, and they start to build up near each other and, and secrete um, extra cellular polymeric substances. And so you get this thick film that's actually near impossible to remove once it starts. So a lot of times for that, you're talking about pre-treating the water before it reaches the RO stage. And there's a few options there. You can use like UV or ozone treatment, or a lot of times in water treatment, you add some source of chlorine to kill the bacteria. Now there's a, a bit of an issue there because chlorine will actually damage your RO membranes. So typically if you're talking about pre-treatment, it can get complicated because you might have to treat the water and then treat it again to remove whatever additive before it reaches the, the membrane itself. Mm, okay, very interesting. Yeah, the reverse osmosis system, I guess there's a, uh, I don't know, is there a trade-off if you have, let's say, a cylindrical wrapping of the membrane, you know, over and over and over? The, the more wrappings there are, the harder it is for materials to get, let's say, all the way through the RO, or does it go tangential to each layer? Therefore, it doesn't matter how many layers are wrapped. So typically... The setup for commercial membranes is, like you said, is wrapping membranes, and they start from a central tube that's going to collect your clean water, and you have two membranes that are back-to-back. -back. So the layer that, that removes the salt is facing out. You put some sort of spacer between them, and then you roll them around that central tube. And you can have multiple of those, so those are called leaves, right? So you have a leaf that's two membranes back-to-back. Clean water collects between the two and filters to the center and then comes out of tube. Generally, with reverse osmosis, the amount of water you can produce in one of those wrapped, uh, they're called elements, is dependent on the surface area that you have, right? How much surface can contact the incoming water kind of is a, a lending step in, in how much water can come through. So adding more membrane to an element doesn't necessarily create an added barrier because each layer of membrane is going to filter the water independently. It becomes probably more of an issue logistically with pumping the water through a larger and larger element. So, you know, typically beyond a certain size, then you, you start looking at multiple stages. So you would have RO elements in series. So you treat the water and then you have a higher concentration of salt water that would move on to another stage and you do it in multiple passes. Right. So what, what kind of research are you doing currently in uh, water desalination? So in, uh, in grad school, I kind of moved on to a project that's more on the side of characterization. So we use a lot of advanced microscopy techniques, namely TEM tomography, which is using a transmission microscope to take images at multiple angles and then using those angles to reconstruct the RO active layer, the top surface that rejects salts, we can look at it in 3D. It's kind of this, the same principle as a, like a CT scan that a doctor would do. You take a bunch of images 
at multiple angles, and then you get 3D model of, of what you scanned. For a favorable setup of the membrane so that it's most efficient in you know, being cleaned and the trade-off of uh, exchanging the most or weeding out the most salt. I guess there's a lot of uh, surface chemistry and morphology involved in the membrane itself, right? Exactly, yeah. So the, the focus with the imaging is on the morphology. So if you look at the surface of a reverse osmosis membrane, it's very rough. Uh, typically, people call it a, a ridge and valley structure because it really looks like you're looking at a topographical map of you know a mountainous region. There's protruding features. There's these deep grooves. You have variations in the density throughout the polymer film, and all of that can affect performance. So the idea is basically to look at that structure and initially, you know, there were some interesting findings. The, the student on this project before me, who's since graduated, his name was Tyler Colt. He has a couple of papers out. The first one, basically they found that the surface area of that rough, rough surface is much higher than previously predicted, about two times higher. So the imaging gives you much more insight into the top surface. And then additionally, the internal surface, after membranes are pressurized, the polymer is compressed, and that really reduces any open space in the membrane. So you're really looking at a dense polymer film there. And since then, we've been trying to then couple experimental results from actual reverse osmosis filtrations with those imaging techniques. So that's the bulk of my work is basically looking at membranes after operation on a small scale and then determining from those imaging results how processes like fouling and rejection occur. Kind of one of the last things that Tyler did working with some collaborators was modeling water flux in a series of membranes that had increasing flux. And the key finding there was that the more uniform the density throughout the membrane was, the higher the flux. So basically the the less variability you'd have in your your structure the less water has to move laterally and the more it can pass directly through the active layer. And so that's one insight into how you could design a higher performing membrane. CBDFX full spectrum and broad spectrum CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBDFX is offering our listeners an exclusive 25% off, which I think is very generous, plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase when you use the code GENIUS. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. You can see that, but in terms of um, tangential flow, is there a trade-off where the smoother the surface, the less likely it's able to clear existing material on the surface? Or is it good all around if you get a, a smoother surface? To my knowledge, smoother surfaces aren't a problem in terms of like increased fouling because the, the tangential flow, you're going to create mixing at the at the surface from that. And then additionally, you have typically spacers that, that keep those membranes apart from one another in that rolled element. So you have like a plastic mesh on the surface that actually creates additional mixing. And so the length scales on the actual surface features of the membrane are, you know, nanometer scale, they're much smaller. So they're not going to contribute significantly to that mixing. Well, I'm picturing a really rough membrane and fluid flowing across it left to right. And if there's a particular feature that sticks out, I can see the water, you know, flowing over it and then mixing like, uh, you know, turbulent eddies and things like that. So I can see the mixing profile would be very different and the clearance would be very different depending on the, you know, the morphology of the, the surface. 
Yes, but you also have, so if you have a protruding feature, right, you'll get mixing, but on the back side, you also have kind of like a dead zone, right? Right. Would it even be, can you run them so that the flow is almost laminar with a really smooth surface across the membranes? Chemical engineering, you know, I, I the many years ago, but I remember they had a pipe and they estimated the roughness of the interior of the pipe and it affected the flow rates and the turbulence and all that. Yeah, I wonder so if you guys model the same stuff. Yeah, so the laminar versus turbulent flow depends a lot on your operating conditions, right? What pressure you're feeding at and, and all that. And, and you do have a point in that, you know, a rougher surface is more likely to create some sort of, of mixing, right? That's even the idea behind the feed spacers there. With membrane surface itself, I don't know of any evidence that it plays a significant role in creating mixing. Yeah, I hope it's all virtuous. I just wonder if there is a trade-off after after you know X hours of use. If the lifetime of you know an RO system is at a hundred thousand hours of use before it has to be scrapped, let's say, you know, what does a performance profile look like for a very smooth membranes versus traditionally rougher membrane? No, that's an interesting question. So typically, if you get into smoother membranes, you're moving from reverse osmosis to what's called nanofiltration. So the the roughness results from the way that the membranes are synthesized. So the way you make the polymer film that removes the salt is through, it's called interfacial polymerization. So you have basically a water phase, an organic or an oil phase, right? So two immiscible liquids, right? And each one contains a reactant. And where they meet at the surface, you have a very rapid reaction. So that's how you get the very thin film. And so the way that those reactants diffuse at that interface is what results in the rough surface of reverse osmosis membranes. Nanofiltration membranes, which have a smooth surface, have a different chemistry. So you have a different different results from that reaction at the interface because the the reactants are different, right? The way they diffuse is different. So direct comparison of rough surface to smooth surfaces is difficult because you also have other variables changing because the the density and the chemistry of nanofiltration membranes is different than reverse osmosis membranes because you've changed the reaction. There are other factors that play into fouling and performance data. So it's it's an interesting question really. It's it's at the the very small scale I could see how that mixing from just surface roughness could play a role because we've seen that small scale variations in density and other things affect flux. And it's Hopefully, something that some of my future work might shed some on. Yeah, you, know, you can't do everything, but you know, it just—I just thought it might be an interesting factor. Or you know, if you put spacers preferentially, you know, if you have like a certain distance in the beginning where there are no spacers and it's as smooth as possible, and then when should you start putting in features in deliberately, like you said, spacers and all that, to you know, to modulate the flow and along the length of the whole, you know, interaction of the liquid with the membrane. What's the optimal yeah. use of spacers and where and what heights and et cetera? No, it's a, it's a very interesting design question. Yeah, you always have that trade-off between like with the spacers, you know, creating mixing and preventing buildup at the surface versus, you know, smooth surface that might be less prone to fouling. Yeah, it's an interesting prompt to think about, you know, what might be happening at the nanoscale with uh, mixing, especially for smaller solutes like like ions, right? That would be more impacted by by something on that that length scale. Okay, I didn't realize it makes sense that there's so much that goes into uh, you know designing these things properly. So it's very interesting. So what are you figuring out in terms of so smoother is better? It seems like so far, but are there particular geometries that are more favorable to this interaction of the liquid and the membrane? Yeah. So the findings so far, right? is basically the the more uniform 
that polymer film, the higher your flux, the higher the water throughput. But we haven't really had a chance to explore what features. So whether you have you know surface roughness or even internal features, so variations in density, right, might create um, like hot spots for founding deposition, right. So if you have something in your water. Uh, like a scaling salt, like something that can form calcium carbonate or even silica, which is in a lot of groundwater feeds. When it's concentrated, it will it will form deposits on the membrane. So if you have something like that in your feed, right, if you have a uniform membrane, a more uniform membrane, you'll have higher flux, but do you see increased fouling because because of another change in the structure, right? Yeah, like um, if you have a, a nub or a feature behind there, in the turbulent zone, I wonder if that's where bacteria would preferentially hide and make a biofilm. Exactly. That's the type of thing that we're trying to answer now with, with the characterization is, you know, beyond just making a, a more uniform membrane, what else can you alter in terms of the structure or the chemistry to, you know, maybe reduce fouling, reduce the need for some of that pretreatment? No, it's it's a very interesting question because a lot of a lot of the applications of reverse osmosis membranes and desalination have been optimized, right, since they, they were kind of first introduced. So I think these first began being really used in like the 1970s. And so over time, there's been a lot of improvements in terms of reducing the energy usage or recovering the energy from the system, then improvements in other technologies. And so they've been able to de- decrease the costs and, and improve the performance of membranes. But now that we've kind of reached this plateau to keep pushing the limits means kind of diving into, you know, how we can change the, the polymer layer itself. And so that's why we're, we're really interested in what other impacts the, the features of the, the surface can have. And can you dope the surface with antibacterial components just like they would dope silicon? Yes. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. A lot of commercial membranes uh, for higher fouling applications are coated. So there's different proprietary coatings that companies will apply. Some of my previous work, we, we tried using polydopamine, which is a naturally occurring kind of adhesive polymer that we would use to functionalize the membrane in different ways. And so there are definitely options for membrane coatings. There's been a lot looked at in academic studies, a lot of times not always transferable to larger scale uh, implementation. But, but yeah, there are definitely, there's definitely potential to, to functionalize membranes in a way to reduce fouling. The other interesting thing is, you know, so I talked about chlorine damaging RO membranes, right? So if you have bacteria in your feed water, seawater source, right? Something from, from nature in general, typically you might add chlorine to kill the bacteria, right? And then you have to remove the chlorine to run through the reverse osmosis system. Uh, and then if you're doing distribution through pipes, you might have to, to re-add chlorine to, to keep from having biofouling in your pipes as you're distributing the water, right? So one of the interesting questions is rather than coat the surface or, or functionalize or keep doing pretreatment, can we just make the reverse osmosis membranes resistant to chlorine damage? Because if your membrane can withstand chlorine, then you pretreat, you kill your bacteria, the same water flows through your membrane and directly into your pipes. You never have any damage or degradation or loss of performance. And so that's another, both the coding approach and the the direct approach to to changing the membrane chemistry are interesting opportunities as for us to apply the methods that have been developed through this project where, you know, we can look at 
making certain changes or adding something to surface and how that changes uh, the structure of the membrane and how the performance changes and draw conclusions about, you know, maybe making a membrane that's more chlorine resistant also makes it less uniform in density, right? And so we have lower flux and we would at least know what, what to try to solve there instead of just kind of trial and error. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where things go moving forward in reverse osmosis, I think, because like I said, you know, we were kind of at a point where a lot of things have been optimized, right? And so we're looking at right. um, fine tuning things, especially for specific applications. So depending on what specific balance you have, right? You might have more and more products on the market tailored to specific applications, you know? So what uh, results have you guys gotten already? How much of an improvement and what are the factors? Like what are the KPIs that you're improving on our system? Yeah, so the the current project is is focused on the membranes themselves. We're not looking too much at other parts of the system yet. And like I said, the most recent publication was focused on density variation in within the the polymer film. So the key there was that the more uniform your polymer density is, the higher flux membrane you'll have. So the next question to probably answer is how does that play into rejection, right? So the other, there, there's always a trade-off between high flux and high sol rejection, right? And I think the next step experimentally will be seeing what features in a membrane are better for removing salts and other solutes in the feed water, because then you have a way to design and optimize between the two. And then, you know, what about a pulse system? You know, if you want it to be continuous, but you do like an extra pulse where the volume goes up by the flow rate goes up 20% every, uh, I don't know, 10 seconds or something. Could you do something where it's, it's optimally cleaning the membrane? Maybe there's some sort of a, a resonant pulsing speed that would, you know, would, would keep the flow rate as high as possible and uh, keep the membrane as clean as possible. I think that's applied a little bit in cleaning procedures. I think more with the backwashing. So not as you're running. I know, so real world system, you're you're generally running at constant flux, right? Because you're trying to produce a certain amount of clean water at a steady rate. So the systems are designed so that the output is constant, which means that if your performance is going down, right, you would increase your pressure to maintain a constant flux. So why does it need to be constant? Why not just do a steady pulsing, you know, where the flow rate will move between, uh, you know, move in a small range, but not a huge one. The activity made to tolerate that, no problem. The reason I, I brought that up is I think the control systems would already be in place to implement that, right? Because if you already have pumping that adjusts based on, uh, you know, output, you could you could vary that, you know, according to your, your own parameters. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it would depend on the the change in pressure i'm not sure how abruptly you can like lower and and, and raise the yeah, like pulse height pulse width pulse yeah you know is it a ramped pulse is there just a step pulse i mean i'm sure there's a lot of things that can be played with you know in the system to try to optimize flow and keep the you know the surface cleaner too yeah no it's very interesting uh, concept yeah it's and like i said I, mean, the, I, yeah. I don't know if this goes too far but uh, depending on the roughness factor of the surface of the membrane, I wonder if there's probably some, you know, certain pulse ranges that would work best with, again, the, the roughness factor of a certain membrane or the morphology. I'm sure there's ones that would be more amenable depending on what, you know, what the surface looks like. 
this is a guess. I don't know. It's armchair, armchair chemical engineering speculation. Sir, no, that's uh, that's most of what I do. So, <laughs> no, it's it's a very interesting idea. I'm trying to recall if I've seen any studies on that. I'm sure there's probably something out there, but I don't know that it's it's been looked into extensively. It's yeah, it's I'm no. sure something that could be optimized. You know, again based on system and membrane. What about putting channels in? the membrane deliberately along the path of flow. What would that do? You know, if you had, I don't know, a series of channels, uh, two microns apart or whatever, whatever feed you wanted. Would, like would par- parallel to the surface, not through. Right. Parallel to the surface. So I'm picturing like, you know, like I'm picturing like, I'm, let's say I'm driving and I'm, you know, the surface of the, the road is the membrane, but there's these channels, you know, like just edges to the road. Yeah. So I don't go out of my lane. You know, the edges would be very tall, but I just wonder if that would be a, a, a feature and, what if they spiraled about around the membrane or what if they were just straight? I don't know what that would do either. Yeah. So there's some difficulty in, in patterning an RO membrane surface, right? Because the synthesis, like I said, is is this interfacial polymerization. It's a very rapid reaction, right? You're basically, you know, casting this film onto a support. It reacts very rapidly and you get this rough surface, right? So there's not right now a lot of control over the the morphology. So then you're looking at some sort of Post modification, if you wanted to put a pattern or, or ridges into that membrane surface, which is difficult to do without damaging that that polymer layer, right? So, if you were trying to do some sort of mechanical patterning of the surface, you're likely to cause some sort of some sort of damage that might lead to higher salt passage, more salt going through the membrane. You know, with reverse osmosis, the target is uh, I think typically greater than ninety nine point. Three percent. I think that's the cutoff, the lower cutoff. It's definitely greater than ninety-nine percent salt rejection. So even a, a slight increase in your your salt passage can mean that your product is is no longer good enough. And then you know if you're doing mechanical surface modifications, then you get into the question of you know how how to apply that modification. So if you did want to go that route, right? You know whether you're you're doing some sort of impression or you know you have uh, tangential motion, right? Probably causes different mechanical strains that would have a different effect. So it's it's an interesting question because it's kind of it's kind of like the opposite of a spacer, which sits on top of the membrane, right? You would have this pattern roughness built into the membrane. But definitely definitely some more complexity in its application. It would be, I think, tricky to do without without harming the membrane in some way. Yeah, well I mean you're able to smooth it. I would think the smoothing would also increase the membrane integrity too. So maybe along the lines of smoothing, you smooth it to a certain point, and then you add this feature where you, you know you do both somehow in the processing. Maybe yeah. um, they would uh, the trade off would it would bounce itself out. It'll be okay. I don't know. I should clarify. So when you talk about smooth versus rough membranes, right? Membranes that are inherently smooth that results from the synthesis, right? Just the chemicals that are being used, right? That's the the result of that reaction. Um, when I was talking about our earlier results, talking about variability in the density of the polyamide. That's within the film, but that film still has a rough surface. So when you look at a, an RO membrane, right, it's typically, it's going to have surface roughness. So the series of membranes that Tyler published on, the internal density of the polymer decreased in variability for higher flux membranes, but all of those membranes still have a rough surface. So even within the field of RO membranes, as you're changing the synthesis, you're not really able to get to smoothing because the, the synthesis so far that results in smooth membranes 
or nanofiltration membranes, which have a lower salt rejection. So they're not the same performance as a reverse osmosis membrane. So we're not, at least yet, we're not able to mechanically smooth our membranes after making them. It all depends on how we make right, them. It's in the making. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. So I wasn't clear on that earlier. That's okay. What about looking at used membranes? Have you looked at them visually and inspected them and made slides in the microscope to see what you, you can see? That done in industry, and it's kind of where we're steering our research is, is getting toward looking at membranes after they fouled, right? So in industry, there's two approaches, right? So if you have if you have a membrane that's failed, right, it doesn't matter if your technique is destructive. So you can you can do what's called a membrane autopsy, where you you take the membrane out of operation and you can do all sorts of chemical staining and you can cut it apart and you can look at the the damage to the membrane and determine what went wrong, right? Because you already know that that membrane's not usable again. If you're trying to do it during operation, that becomes a little more complex because you're testing without damaging the membrane, right? So the techniques that we use are, are more in lines in autopsy because in order to do electron microscopy, we, we have to cut apart our membrane and, and isolate top layer of, of the membrane. So, so we can do something similar. We're looking at much smaller length scales, right? But, but yeah, we can essentially take a used membrane that's been fouled by different feed waters and see the differences and how those fouls build up on the membrane surface, right? So, you know, if you're looking at something like silica, which, you know, is, is forming small deposits in its initial stages versus, you know, uh, particles, which are just being kind of mechanically deposited on the surface versus bacteria, right? Which are going to have some sort of preferential area where they attach and start a biofilm. We can look at those membranes and the structure surrounding those phalanx and start to gain some insight into, okay, did, does phaline always occur at a high density region? Does it always occur at a highly charged region or does it depend on the species? So that's, yeah, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. And uh, based on the results, right, you get into, you know, if you know that a certain feature is always going to promote biofouling, right, then if you have uh, an operation that's very prone to that, that has problematic feed water in that regard, then you can design and select products for that application based on, based on the findings from those small-scale studies. And I really do think, you know, moving forward, I think things are going to become more and more tailored to specific applications. Like I said, it's in, in order to really optimize further and, and get better performances from where we are, I think. And it's it's already done to a large extent, but I think there's going to be more design based on niche applications. Okay. Interesting. Oh, last thing I thought of is uh, what if you have, I get a pulse of ultra pure water to clean, you know, the RO system, you're keeping it flowing, but you... Again, you put in, I don't know, half a liter of ultra pure water, run it through, and maybe it strips off a bunch of the salt. And then it, you know, you put in normal stuff and it's like you, uh, you, you know, you rework the filter, you freshened it up. Has anyone done that? So ultra pure water, I believe is lower pH. Is that correct? Oh, well, I mean, ultra pure, it should be right around seven, I would guess, you know, cause you strip out as much as you can out of the water. Like I worked in a, you know, in a fab for uh, Motorola Intel ultra pure water for the semiconductor manufacturer it's actually pretty dangerous because there's nothing in it it sucks up minerals and, and the stuff like crazy yeah i wonder if that was put through a uh through an ro system you know a quick pulse of it and then you return to the normal flow if that would strip off enough salts and other materials and maybe even kill the biofilm 
Because it probably would. If it hit a biofilm, it probably would tear apart the bacteria. No, just it. Um, that's an interesting approach to cleaning because a lot of it is typically like pH changes or mechanical backwash. I mean, I, so essentially what you're doing is, is you're taking your, your feed water, you're replacing it with water that, that has nothing in it, right? So I would definitely think anything that's not attached to the membrane surface. So if you have, you know, concentration, polarization, just salt buildup near the membrane surface, if you have, sorry, if you have particles that are, are kind of sitting there but aren't really attached, I think it would reduce all of that. In terms of biofouling, if you kill the microbes, you'll definitely arrest biofilm formation, right? I still don't think you'd be able to remove a biofilm once formed. Uh, I think that's, even if it's killed, it's still going to, to stay on the membrane surface just because of those EPS substances that, that bind the microbes together. I don't know enough about EPS chemistry to know if the ultra water would have an impact on that, so it, it might. But yeah, that's, I think, switching your feed to something that's entirely clean already, right, will definitely have some sort of cleaning effect. We'll definitely remove and flush out a lot of what's in there and reset things. I don't think it's it would be a cure-all, right? I think there's some problems that, that it wouldn't have an impact on. But I think that's also true of any cleaning process right now, right? Again, it's it depends on the problem you're dealing with. So I think all of the things you mentioned could be useful in different applications, you know? Okay, well, very good. Well, Michael, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and uh, maybe see some images? You have some papers that you read. You know, where can they go to look and find out more about your lab and its work? Sure. So right now, I'm working with Enrique D. Gomez at Penn State University. So he has a research website with recent publications, and you know, you can follow his citations and, and find the papers related to this. And then my former advisor, if you're looking for, you know, membranes research in general, his name is Manish Kumar. He's actually at UT Austin right now. And so those would be some good starting points to get our work specifically and, and some related work. Okay, excellent. Well, very good, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. It was a very interesting discussion. And uh, yeah, appreciate appreciate the invitation. Remember, before you go, check out CBDFX.com for the best in organic, all-natural CBD products, both for you and your pets. Boost your wellness today and get 25% off your first order, plus get a free CBD bath bomb when you use code GENIUS at checkout. That's code G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at CBDFX.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.